0: Hey, church friends, we would like to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show.
1: We really do appreciate every single one of you. And really, if you have any questions, if you need prayer, if you just want to share your thoughts or what your favorite topic was that we covered, please, please feel free to email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Chris will read that email and let me know what it says.
0: (laughs) Also, if you enjoyed the show, please do the following to help us out. Follow or subscribe to whichever podcasting platform you listen to, and then share it with your family, your friends, and the people who attend your church.
1: And really, all this stuff is run by algorithms, so you doing those simple things really helps get the podcast into more ears. And remember, Your Church Friends Podcast is here
0: to be a resource to you to help you understand God's Word in a more clear and personal way. All so that we can grow closer in our relationship with God. Don't forget to check out our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It currently takes you to all of our social media accounts and places where you can listen to each and every episode.
1: Which Chris is finally forcing me to sit down and work on a lot of that stuff, so there's updates coming to the website, as well as a lot of other wonderful resources that we're working on together. The website is yourchurchfriends.rocks because...
0: Wait, what was it again? Oh, that was a long time ago. Oh, that's right, because we rocks. Lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yurtle. So what's new with you?
1: What's new with me? It's a good question. Um, I feel like anything that's new is more of just uh taking care of things that's been around, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like we've we've moved into the house, and as you were talking about the other, day, it's like yeah, you moved in and had a baby, and then wife was sick, and then family came and visited, and this and this and this. So it's like I'm finally just like, oh, what did I do this week? I got into the garage. I built some shelves. I did like you know <laughs> what I mean. It's just like yeah, that's what I did. We we cleared out some junk that didn't need to be there. I. We went and picked up some stuff for Casey's room and so like the new thing was just kind of more of the settling thing which is new because given the previous however many months uh, it's not been that so it's new to me yeah standard for most <laughs> I think it's a, a nice place to be at sometimes when it's just like doing the stuff around yeah I was like oh cool yeah. mow the lawn build some shelves dude yeah
0: yeah it feels good that was like last week I did the same thing I was just like mowing the lawn. Tending to some yard stuff, cleaning
1: the house really good, doing doing like deep cleaning things, and I was laughing with Delilah because just I realized that through the course of the day I accomplished a lot, but anything that I started, I didn't accomplish anything when I started it. It's so like right off the bat, I started building those shelves. You know those metal shelves where you like hammer the thing mm-hmm. and then put the piece of wood for the shelving. Like I got into that, the wood wasn't quite fitting, and it was annoying me, and I didn't know. So I built some of it and then just left it. Then I went and I strimmed the yard, but I didn't mow it. And then I went into the garage and Casey's got like her little studio and she wanted to put like these fake plants on the wall. So I started doing that. And then something happened in the house. So I went into the house and then I did some stuff in the house. And by the end of the day, every project I started was finished. But if you were to interrupt me or just like (laughs) something took me away in the middle of the day, all half finished projects. Yeah. But by the end of it, everything was done. I think that's really just like the ADD. Like I do something for a while. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should go do that other thing now. Yeah, make the list. But I felt accomplished at the end because everything got done. So I actually, I heard this and then we'll
0: we'll get into our forgotten book of Amos. I I saw like a clip of Matthew McConaughey. Okay. right. (laughs) What a weird transition, Matthew McConaughey. But he was talking about um, feeling accomplished and getting stuff done and like what got him out of a rut. And he said, what I started doing was making a list. And it was all the things I had to do that day uh but he said the one thing i i added to it though was like i i had to put some fun things on there so it just can't be like your list of to do things it you know put some fun in there like hug my wife drink a cup of coffee um take a nap uh play with the kids it was just like this list of like things but also some fun things you would want to do throughout the day mhm and uh he said the the idea isn't really um is really more about crossing the things off the list. Mm-hmm. So if you put all these other things that you could do real easy, like the more you see the list getting things being crossed off, the more you feel accomplished and the more you feel like you've, you've done something. And then at the end of the day, you're like, oh, man, I did a lot. And it helps with kind of that depression, feeling low mentality of like, man, I just wasted a day. I thought it was pretty good. You know, Matthew McConaughey, who knew
1: he had that from him? Money doesn't buy you everything. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, No, no, no. That was before the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I got good and then I got famous and I never struggled again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I thought it was pretty cool. So just a tip out there for everyone who's listening.
1: Yeah. Do some small stuff around the house. Feel accomplished. It helps. Yeah, feeling accomplished as well. Yeah. Delilah, sometimes she'll make me listen. It's good because she also knows me. She's like, You can accomplish these things in the time that you know. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. So I'll just try knocking it out as quick as I can. It's like, she said it'll take this long watch. It takes as long as she thought, but I I get it done. But for me, it was more of just when was the last time that I was here all day without whatever else could have Mm. or should have been happening. So Mm. I was like, no, just get out and do some stuff. No list. Just Just get it done. Yeah. I'm not sure if you noticed based on podcasting with me for a while. No list. No list. (laughs) (laughs) It was like where I have like 15 pages of notes. Murdoch's like, I've got a screen open. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's basically oh, it.
1: Let me quietly do an internet search or a lug <laughs> search for the thing that popped into my head. That'll be my next point. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's look into... <laughs> I come
1: in a little more prepared, but sometimes. We'll see. All right. Amos. Yeah.
0: Famous Amos.
1: Famous Amos. He's not
0: just known for making cookies.
1: Yeah. I was also thinking, remember that uh, Amos Lee song, Sweet Pea? Sweet no. Sweet Pea, apple in my eye. It's, I don't know, got used on a bunch of commercials and different stuff, but... Uh, Given the book of Amos, that he's very much not the sweet pea type of book. Yeah. Maybe you should like fade that into or out of the the episode. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, you're working the song when you hear it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's not the sweet pea Amos. Amos uh, comes in with some justice, man. He really does. This is a a book that starts off like he's just shooting.
0: Yeah. Straight up shooting at everybody. Uh, One of the things I I looked at and I thought this was pretty cool that... uh, um, that the book of Amos, it's a collection of his sermons, poems, and visions mm-hmm. uh, accumulated over the years by Amos and then put into the scroll. So if you're reading it and thinking this is like Amos writing one thing after the other, after the other, or like saying this one thing after the other, it's not. It's just like an accumulation of his time of ministry that they were able to get and
1: then put together as a book. Yeah, it's like what they do with preachers nowadays. It's just like a collection of sermons, except unlike Spurgeon where you have like 18 volumes or whatever it's like now you get seven chapters of amos nine yeah there you go nine nine, nine oh, i didn't chapters. read the next two you, oh, can, you gosh, can cover those. In trouble that's no totally... i just really like chapter seven that's yeah. what I was in my head yeah so we have that so
0: the questions we're going to look at is who's amos uh when was amos written uh what do we know about king jeroboam the second and king uzziah uh why was israel worshiping at bethel what social issues was amos addressing and from amos's perspective what is the day of the lord so I feel like these are doable questions in the time frame that we have. <laughs> uh, we're not going to bust the Jude or Second Peter where it becomes 500 episodes. Hopefully we'll go through this. So let's get rolling. I, th- I think when I look at it, the book of Amos in whole, it just focuses on God's concern for justice and God's concern
1: for proper worship. Stupid things that like, pop into my mind just when you were like, Uzziah? Like on his name? And uh, I couldn't tell you a single song about this person. I'm guaranteed that it- for as much as I like different rap and hip-hop, I would not like Lil Uzi Vert. But I'm just thinking like Lil Uzi. <laughs> just, I didn't even know that was who existed. I don't know. Just the Uzi going on in the name. Um, anyways, back to Amos. Back
0: to Amos. So He's in there. We'll, we'll get there, yeah. Here's our breakdown. I'm going to actually expand the breakdown um, a little bit more than just running through it like I have in previous episodes. Uh, but part one is um, an indictment against the nations Judah and Israel so that's Amos 1 through 2 and and here you have he uh he goes from Damascus to Ga- uh Gaza so that's the Philistines uh Tyre Edom Ammon and Moab um and each of the each of these nations as he's going through uh he starts off with the Lord says and then ends with what the Lord says and there's also this cool little thing that Amos does he does a uh, for three sins even four mm-hmm. at the beginning of all of them Uh, But the judgment on Israel's closest neighbors, it moves uh, geographically in a counterclockwise circle around Israel. And I thought that was super cool. I never, I mean, I don't look at a map when I read my Bible of...
1: It's really helpful when you do see it. But it
0: does, yeah. And it was just like, it's moving around a circle. Uh, And so when I looked at that, they said the idea was Amos was attempting to get Israel to agree with the criticism against the nations. And then shocked when it all accumulated in an announcement of the doom of Judah and Israel. Um, it almost kind of like a countdown, so it was like, if you think of like a clock, counterclockwise ticking, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and then boom, 1, here's the countdown. The other way I saw it put was, um, it's a circle, and then within it is another circle, kind of like a target. Although there's judgment against these other
1: nations, the aim is going to be hit towards Judah and mainly Israel. Yeah, so when you look at that, and it's concentric and definitely it's closing in on Israel, right? But if you look at it to where... The other nations is like Israel's neighbors. Mm -hmm. And then you get into Edom, Ammon, and Moab, that's Israel's cousins. Yeah. And then you get into Judah, that's Israel's sister. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. How it's talked about. So breaking it all these different ways of breaking down that that section.
0: Which is a really cool way to look at it. It helps when
1: you're looking at that whole section of why it starts there and goes down that way. Can I pitch an idea? Just, I think it's cool, but then if anybody's listening, uh, do something with it and. I don't need to be an inventor. I just want to experience it. A guy that I worked with who went off to work with uh, SpaceX and he had this really cool idea that going over to Mars, he's like, this is the beginning of human to Mars history. Like we're starting at the beginning. We should be tracking these data points in the history. And he had this idea of doing like a, uh, a virtual map that you could have these things on there and when they happened and then... Like, you could go forwards and backwards through time and see what else was happening at those places oh, I get and you. yeah. And I think that that would be so beneficial for biblical study. Yeah. To have that map, and you can bring in other things like videos and whatnot and use the same picture for people across time or whatever so that you can mentally peg who they are. But to be able to show a map and maybe you raise up, like, vertically through these invisible layers mm-hmm. as time goes on, but then you can, like check on and off different filters to be like no no no. i want to see what kings were alive or what nations or what bloodlines or all these different things that we can track through because it does bring i just think of when we were talking with uh Brittany, going back to like man these ancient bloodline battles that have, oh, like, yeah. existed all the way back coming forward and if you could have those filters turned on that then that way when you're looking at it and you just get this story of king uzziah and you're mm-hmm. just like who's that guy But if you have these different filters like, oh, dang, he came from him and from him and that's what's happening with him now. I'd really think that the visual on the map aspect, being able to go through time with those ties, I think it would be cool. Yeah. I don't know how you do that. In my mind, I get that you can do that. We need somebody who can. Yeah. So there you go, listeners. Go on the hunt.
0: (laughs) Make that happen. Yeah. Uh, The next part of the breakdown is uh, judgment on Israel. So like we said, we get to this accumulation of everything happening. And that's Amos 3 through 6. So chapter 3 is the announcement of the inevitable punishment. Uh, 3 verse 2 says, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. And I think this is a great way to start off with where and why actually Israel was headed towards its punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is mainly focusing at this point the the northern kingdom. Uh, but they were God's chosen people. Yep. He chose them, and what's the the Spider-Man thing? With great power comes great responsibility, and and that's what they had. They had a responsibility, and they didn't fulfill it. Chapter 4 is an oracle criticizing oppression, um, false holiness, and unrepentance. Chapter 5 is a lament for Israel and a call for repentance. Uh, There's also a woe for religious offenses, and then chapter 6 is a woe for social and political offenses, so... You're going to kind of see where this is going, especially as we move through the questions. Then we have, uh, we have the next segment is the visions and of judgment and restoration. So that's seven through nine. So your favorite chapter seven and then yeah. the rest of them you didn't read. Uh, the first vision is uh, of a locust. The second is a consuming fire. Uh, and then after these two, uh, it's interesting, Amos intercedes uh, for the people. He says, no, no, don't, don't let this happen. And mm-hmm. then the judgment stops, so there's the delay of judgment. And then there's the vision of the plumb line. And this was interesting to me. So uh, I really didn't understand this when I read it, because I'm like, what's a plumb line? What's all this and that? So when I did actually get into the study part of it, uh, some have said that when he talks about the, the wall, that it a, is a lead wall. But recent scholars have argued that it refers to tin and not lead. Uh, and this represents some, the military potential since tin was used to make bronze weapons. The interpretation of the vision also could be seen as the Assyrian military as God's great agent of judgment uh, that would sh- soon come in, probably, mm-hmm. I think, was it like 70, some 40 to 70 years later? Uh, then some scholars say that this makes sense because the plumb line is used for a tool of construction and not destruction. mm mm-hmm. um, and I also then read that it may be better read as tin as a soft and weak metal, and God shows Amos a wall of tin that would be easily destroyed. Uh, and then I had to look at what actually is a plumb line. I had right. no idea what this thing is. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and I, I saw that it was used to determine the water depths or even like for like painters or people to have a straight vertical line. So they use it to, like, make sure the line's straight when they're doing things. Yeah, plumb line, it's
1: real simple. You get a string with a weight on the end. Yeah. You hang it and just, like, it hangs straight down. Mm-hmm. Um, which I then, I and thought... And not was... to any side. It's, like, perfectly centered. It's not going concentrically around in any direction. It's just, like, that's a straight line from where it's hanging.
0: Yeah, and I thought that was really cool because it it uh it was like God was saying that Israel had gone crooked. Mm-hmm. And that they have not kept straight with his laws, and there's no depth to their morality. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Which is why I explained it a little more because I read that and I was like, "What? I have no idea what this means." Uh, vision number four is the summer fruit that's in there. Vision number five is God appears for judgment, and in between the visions, there's an encounter between the priest of Israel and Amos. And then chapter nine ends with restoration. And then throughout the book, uh, there are three doxologies placed strategically in the book of Amos. You have one in five, uh, five eight through nine, and then nine five through six, uh, they all emphasize God as the sovereign creator, the master of all things, and the supreme God, that God has not only the power, but also the right to dispense out judgment.
1: And I know that we've explained doxology on the podcast before, one of those nice Christian words, but it's generally just an expression of praise to God in simplest terms. Yeah. So when you're saying that there's those three strategically placed, it's a these doxologies he could have just like man amos really praises god three times (laughs) throughout that but yes technical term doxology we get that in there And Um, and
0: they're pretty cool the the 413 is uh he formed the mountains created the wind and reveals his thoughts to man he who turns uh dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth the lord god almighty is his name mm -hmm. a lot of them they're just very similar to that they're still they're hitting these same notes and where they're where, I, I guess where I never noticed it, which is why I'm glad I studied it, is most doxologies are placed at the end of a book. So when we see them in uh, the New Testament, they're usually at the end of a letter, mm-hmm. um, occasionally in the middle, but they actually say then, at least in our Bible print, like, doxology, so you know it's there. Yeah. In, in this book, it wasn't like that. So to see them, like you were saying, they're usually moments of praise
1: to God. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, and I don't know if you're you were gonna get to it, or I can just plug it in because we were looking at that breakdown. Um, yeah, one to two, you've got those poems against the nations, basically. But then three to six, you broke those down in kind of like three, four, five, six. Um, but when you look at that as a unit, it's more of like a covenant lawsuit. Did you come ag- across? Yeah, yeah, that? I saw a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. So covenant lawsuits were just super common back in the day, going back to like the Bronze Age. And it's just when you had like a treaty that was made amongst nations or whatever is made as a covenant. So then if one of the nations broke the treaty or whatever, then it would be a lawsuit could come against them. And this is what those chapters cover, which basically how a covenant lawsuit plays out is that you set the scene and you have the plaintiff, right? Because it's a lawsuit. So the scene getting set here is like, hey, Israel, like what's been going on? But setting the scene, going back to we had a covenant and the plaintiff in this situation is God. And then, so he's bringing the complaint. You have the historical review and the basis for the lawsuit. So again, what I've taken you through, and then here's what's going on now. Uh, you have the indictment charge against the defendant. And then uh, you'd have the judgment, the judgment and the sentence based on those things, which in the Bible, God is both the plaintiff and the judge. He's able to come and say, hey, I'm bringing this complaint against you, and I've judged that this is how that actually is. and generally the the judgments on these lawsuits were guilty. So when we're looking at that three through six, and that's something that covenant lawsuit, just as a term, it's interesting to um to study that out throughout scriptures, because this isn't the only place that it pops up. Yeah, it's just a, a cool thing to to be aware of. Again, that this isn't just like, oh, he's coming up with that on his own and his own structure is like, no, this is something from their time that people that are hearing this are understanding like, oh, we've broken treaty with God. I think even the way he lays it out with the nations,
0: Mm -hmm. that uh, for three sins, even four, could almost be read as like for three charges, even four.
1: Yeah, but it's when you get into the section and you had read it earlier, um, let me pull it up, Amos 3, in verse 2, when he says, only you have I known from all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Like, yeah, for all of the other nations, but he is coming and was like, no, 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 I know you, you're my people, like this is getting handled in a different way. Yeah. So let's
0: go to question number
1: one. All that was before any questions happened? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You told me we could do this in the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: we'll make good time. Uh, who is Amos? Uh, so we're going to go back to the baby name game. Amos' name means burdensome or burden bearer, which literally fits with the book, right?
1: Because he's like got a burden and this is, he's bringing it to the people. It's like, man, you got to think with like these Israelite parents back in the day when they knew that all these things were going on, just like... What name am I going to give you? Because it really might come about <laughs> come about in a certain way, right? <laughs> Call you one who greatly p- blesses your parents. <laughs> <laughs> he who makes millions, yeah, yeah, but yeah, guy that's carrying a burden—that's mm-hmm.
0: for sure. Um, Amos was a shepherd who also tended uh, sycamore fig trees, uh, and there's two interpretations about uh, what kind of shepherd he was. So there's the view that he was the poor shepherd. And in this scenario, Amos was living on what we would say nowadays paycheck to paycheck, Um, being one of those people, a man of humble origin, representing a poor and exploited class. Uh, But that didn't mean that Amos was uneducated. And and how he even talks, it indicates a high level of speaking ability through the knowledge of Israel's political and religious climate. And then there's the wealthy shepherd idea. So this comes in uh, that the word used for shepherd is not the usual word and some suggested that Amos belonged to a higher uh, echelon of shepherd breeders. Uh, The only other time the word shepherd used in Amos is used in the Old Testament is 2 Kings 3-4, where it describes Misha, the king of Moab, as a sheep breeder. Uh, And the status of Misha as king leads itself to the image of a wealthy breeder of flocks and herds, not a lowly poor shepherd. Uh, If this is the case, then Amos would be speaking uh, to his peers when he's preaching about wealth and the complacent Israelites. So if it's uh, the poor shepherd, then he's speaking as someone in poverty saying like, what you guys are doing is wrong. If he's wealthy, he's speaking to his peers saying like, what we're doing is wrong.
1: Yeah. So within that, and it is interesting because in my translation, looking at the Berean study, Instead of being oh, yeah, shepherd. I was like, no, among the sheep herders. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a bit different. You get the, the cross note there and it goes, oh, or sheep breeders. Um, which looking at those when I was studying into it, when you're looking at the poor side or, you know, the rich side, is that you'd have, because he tended to, to sycamores, sycamores were generally called like the poor man's fig. Mm-hmm. And they're shorter trees that have these little fruits on them and they're called the poor man's fig. And like to be able to sell those and, and what that looks like, with the general thing of being a shepherd, not being the most highest ranking thing and everything that happens there. Generally, it's like, oh, yeah, could have been more on the poor side. But when you get to the rich thing, even beyond just the title that's used for him there and the, the reference that you brought in, is being from the south. The south is where all the wealth had accumulated. When you look at the split after Solomon and there had been like the Civil War and there was attack that went on. And then you have the 10 to the north, and then you have the two in the south. So you have Israel to the north and Judah to the south. The south is where the wealth really had accumulated. Mm -hmm. Even if he was on the poorer side, he would have been some of the the wealthier poor. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when I think about homeless people in America. It's like, you're definitely poor. You're on the streets. And it's like, that's not a good situation. But you take everything that you have here and put you in any other nation. And it's just like, oh, you're very rich. You know what I mean? Yeah. Might not be the one-to-one comparison. But just when I think of being poor in a rich area versus being poor in an impoverished area is is different. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying.
0: Amos never really sees himself as a prophet. Right. It it doesn't start off with uh, Amos the prophet, like some of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just says, these are the words of Amos. Mm -hmm. God never tells him prophesy. It usually just says, like, say, which is, in a sense, prophesying. But, like, he never refers to himself in that sense. And then you have that uh, confrontation with uh, Amaziah, and then the priest Amaziah, uh, so I'll read it from Amos 7:10 through 15. He said, uh, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Am- Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to your land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Do not prophesy any more at Bethel, because uh, this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of the sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to the people of Israel. So here, like, uh, when he calls him a seer, which is probably a knock against Amos, it's like, uh, in my Bible, it had a note that pointed back to 1 Samuel nine nineteen, And this is where Saul is sent out by his father to go look for a donkey with his servant. As they're doing it, the servant tells him this. He said, uh, the servant answered him, look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us uh, what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer. Uh, The prophets of today used to be called seers. Mm -hmm. So uh, that little footnote there is like interjecting real quick, like, hey, you know, this is what this situation is. They were formerly known as seers. Now these are prophets. But the idea that like they paid them for God's answer, because they were looking for the donkey and he's like, we'll go to a seer, a prophet, and we'll give them a quarter. And then they'll tell us which way the donkey would have went. So uh, then Amos replies to him, uh, the the, I was neither a prophet can also be interpreted as I am not a prophet by profession, meaning Amos didn't aspire to the prophetic office, but was called out of his prior career as a herdsman, like you're saying, uh, by God. And so he didn't make his living as being a prophet.
1: Yeah, and that's more of what I got from it, because you had several times reference, like in the Old Testament, oh, the school of the prophets, mm-hmm. and there's different times, even going back to Saul, right? And there's a time when he went down, and even Saul was prophesying with all of the other prophets, so it was more of a, well, there's, like I just said, a school of prophets, and it was more of the career. The prophets' guild. With yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that.
0: That's where I saw it, it was the prophets' guild, and like, you
1: were trained up or raised in it, and he was like, that wasn't me. Which it is an interesting thing. I would love to study into it more about getting raised up into that role. Because I think of um, like Elijah, when we look at him as like, oh, man, this prophet and whatever, but not whatever. He was a prophet, (laughs) like legit. But God says, no, I have thousands more. And it's just, were they really just a bunch of as we tend to think of these prophets as like a bunch of weirdos called out of nowhere that are doing crazy things. Like, no, they're coming from these schools and mm. you know, they were trained up into that role and God recognized them as legitimate prophets. So it's, it, I would love to do more of a deeper study on where did this prophet thing? Cause we get a lot in scripture about the, the priesthood and all of that going on as a role, but for further study. A season down the road. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Uh, so let's go to question two. Yeah. When was Amos written? Um, Well, you do have some of the signifiers there at the beginning saying, you know, King Uzziah and King Jeroboam. So, it's like, cool, we have something to land on Mm -hmm. getting within there. So, uh, Uzziah, from what I could tell, was there from 790 to 740. And Jeroboam was about 93 to 53. Is that about right? Yeah. Is that the numbers you're getting? But then we have this other signifier that you bring in. He says, two years before the earthquake. So when he brings in that, and that's a a cool study when you go into, because this earthquake is actually recorded within the ancient world. And then there's also been scientific studies that have been done in the area. And they've been able to see that, I guess you can tell between the differences between like a building falling over versus like tectonic movement and all of that. And there was like an eight plus magnitude earthquake that happened right around that time. And scientists have pegged it at about 760. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking two years before that, you're really looking around the 760s, depending on what I was studying. Some people say 750. Um, A lot of things that I was seeing, 750 might not have been relying more on that little piece of scientific knowledge on like when scientists think the earthquake happened. So when I was getting, when it was written, kind of when Amos was around, when all of that was happening, I was getting 760 to 750. Um, You have any other tidbits that, inform that that w- it was a devastating earthquake oh yeah yeah, yeah it, it was even
0: remembered uh two centuries later as Zechariah writes it Yeah, like 250
1: years later he yeah. brings it up yeah
0: he's a it's a 14.5 you will flee by my mountain valley for it would ex- it will extend to Azel. you flee as you fled from the earthquake in the day of uzziah the king of judah uh, so he's like reminding them like hey you remember this earthquake 200 years ago that happened um which that's a big deal because there's a lot of earthquakes that happen. Yeah. So, for this one to happen, like, to a be lot, remembered. Yeah. And then I heard someone say that uh, Amos 9 5 was like the prophecy of it when he says, uh, The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it will mourn. The whole land uh, rises like the Nile, they sink like the river of Egypt. Um, and the term melts, when I kind of hit some of the buttons on, on it, it also can say like shakes or um, earthquake in a sense. So, the earthquake. Uh, It was even kind of predicted by Amos. I saw that. I thought it was cool. I don't know how much stock I'm going to put into it, uh, but I I thought it was a cool little connection that maybe it was him somewhat prophesying about it. But uh, the other thing I noticed, that he was a contemporary of Hosea, Isaiah, and uh, Micah, um, and that Amos is likely the earliest of these prophets, um, and that although the book appears in the middle of all the prophetic books, Uh, It was likely the earliest written by the uh, writing prophets, that is, the prophets who have books named after them. Um, And then you mentioned the two kings, but I read that Amos' ministry uh, was at the height of Israel's prosperity. Mm -hmm. It was a time of great ease, safety, it was a time of peace uh, that, unfortunately, they would never experience again, because the Assyrian army was growing in
1: power and coming. And when we look at, like, why would they have that great peace? And it's interesting that we keep coming around to it, because... Well, it's not a forgotten book, so maybe that's why it's on the top of our minds often, but it, you know, it has it. But Jonah, when Jonah went and preached at Nineveh and they repented, that really was the thing that kind of like brought peace into the area for a while that these kings were able to flourish a bit and, you know, build up the trade and build up uh, the economy and build up these different things that. Like you said, it wasn't something that they were going to even experience again. But during this time, they had a period of relative peace and being able to build up. Like we've talked about before, the Assyrians didn't quite stick with that repentance. And there was some harsh words and judgment coming for them later. But it's when you see the interweaving of all mm-hmm. of these things happening at the same time, um, and you brought up Hosea. So when we talk about these twin books throughout this whole series, yeah. I see Hosea yeah. as the twin book to Amos. There's a guy, I've, I brought him up before, David Pawson. A lot of his stuff from the 80s that, that I looked at but he brought up Amos being tough Hosea was tender Amos brought strong accusations Hosea mm-hmm. was a strong appeal Amos uh, spoke to the mind Hosea spoke to the heart Amos brought God's justice Hosea brought God's mercy uh, Amos was the divine thought Hosea was a divine feeling but the ultimate th- lead through both of them The last word came through Hosea, and it was such a tender appeal from God to His people to come back to Him. Mm. So, just when looking at those two, uh, we're digging into Amos, and yeah, it's it's a hard word all the way across the board, and surprising even. You know, as you're saying, like it's circling in on you, and it's like, oh dang, there that goes, Um, and then the woes that come and everything. Um, Yeah, so if you want to maybe more of an appeal and and the lighter side and the mercy side, get into Hosea.
0: Yeah, Yeah, seems a lot softer. Let's move to question number three. See, we're rolling through these things.
1: Yeah, question number three, I want to pitch that one to you. All right, so
0: what do we know about King Jeroboam II and King Uzziah? So King Jeroboam II, we'll go with there first. Uh, the 14th king of the northern kingdom of Israel, he reigned 41 years. And really, um, 2 Kings 14, 23 through 29 is where you can find out about his reign. Uh, it says that he did evil in the sight of God, and that is compared to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. So that's the first Jeroboam, the one where the kingdom split, mm-hmm. and you could find all about him in uh, 1 Kings, I believe, chapter 12, and everything that happened with the great divide. Um, but it does say he did evil in the eyes of God, and uh, where is it at? And did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, um, including, so in this is including the worship of uh, Asherah, Anat, and Baal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he extended the boundary. so again, this this kind of time of prosperity was he extended the boundaries of the Nordic kingdom, and that was a major territorial gain. Uh, that's found in Second Kings 14.25, and then is, uh, accordance to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, uh, the prophet of Gath. So you see, like you brought up Jonah during that time. Yep. So there he is right there. Uh, he had victories over Damascus. Amos even talks about this great, uh, prosperity when you get into Amos 6, 4 through 6. He says, You lie on a bed adorned with ivory. You lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lamb and fat calves. You strum away on your harp like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and the finest lotions, uh, but you do not grieve over the ruins of Joseph. So that's really his time, his reign, and what happened. King Uzziah, there's a, the 10th king of Judah, And this was also interesting, this threw me off when I went through uh, Kings and Chronicles the last time, Mm -hmm. is that in Kings, uh, his name is Azariah. Yeah. But then in Chronicles, it's what we've been saying, Uzziah. So he reigned 52 years. And and I read that it could be that one of them was his given name, Mm -hmm. and the other one was his throne
1: name, like he became king. Yeah, and there's a few times throughout scriptures that that happens. You get that with Moses. His father has a couple. Oh yeah, different... he has like three names, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So at least as long as you know, we're talking about the same guy. I mean, it's it's like this. Uh, so if someone were to know you, you're James,
0: right? And then now you're Murdoch, but to you, you're Murdoch. And to me, sometimes I call you Murray. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're all kind of falling in the same thing. But like right there, you've got like four different names.
1: Yeah. That was quick. Yeah. So if someone was writing it, like there's nicknames and all these other then things. And you even got the one going back to my childhood. My dad would call me Hambone. I have no idea why. <laughs> but right? You just get yes, out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, if my dad was to yell Hambone in a crowd, I would know to turn around. Everyone else would be confused. I'm still slightly confused, but at least I know to turn around. We used to call Remy
0: Moose. And when people ask her, like, why Moose? I just made up, because she's, she's clumsy as a moose. I don't even think mooses
1: are clumsy, but... They seem like they would be Rocky Bowlingo. Yeah. I don't know if he was even clumsy, but yeah, names. Yeah, so that's where At, So we got Azariah is. slash Uzziah. Yeah. yeah. He
0: reigned 52 years. He was married to Jerusha, daughter of Zadok, which uh, her name suggests that she came from a priestly family. So that kind of does tie into what eventually does happen. So 2 Kings doesn't give much of who he was, other than he was 16 year old when he became king. Uh, I read that they may have made him the king because they expected him to be better than his dad, or that because he was young, they could control him. So mm-hmm. there was two reasons why. Uh, Kings also mentions that he didn't remove the high places and the people still worshipped there. Uh, Second Chronicles twenty six that gives us way more detail. Uh, it talks about his reign as a good king under the tutelage of Zechariah. and that uh, so it says he sought God during the days of Zechariah who instructed him to fear. Uh, in the fear of God, uh, as long as he sought God, God gave him success. And he was successful in war against the Philistines, extending his influence to Egypt. He had military prowess, building fortifications in Jerusalem and raising and equipping an enormous army. His agricultural programs expanded the cattle production, vineyard cultivation, and crops raised throughout Judah. But then we get to Second Chronicles 26, 16, and it says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. And then you have like the priest Azariah. He comes in with 80 other priests and they try to stop him. Mm-hmm. I think it says he was enraged, like just filled with anger. Uh, he hooked out on him. Yeah, and he, he didn't. And when he went in there, he broke out with leprosy on his forehead. Um, And some uh, commentators said that it was a skin disease that deformed his face. So sometimes when we read leprosy in the Bible, it doesn't mean the falling off of the skin. It could also mean just some form of skin Skin disease. disease. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I I brought that up with the connection to the wife because maybe he thought being married uh, to a family of priests gave him the right, you know, in his pride. Like, I'm king and have this. I could go in there and do that. But... Clearly, God was not happy with what he did, and so he had leprosy, and he lived out the rest of his life,
1: separated from everyone. His son then took over. And that's one of those things when you're talking about separated, is even within that what God did, right? Because Azariah, the high priest, and the other 80 priests, they come in, they're going to do their thing, but then God decides to move in and do the leprosy, and just what, I don't know if you call it irony, but he moved in to offer incense in the temple, And becoming leprous, he was banned from the temple. Right. Like, he had to go live in a separate house. And because, again, all the cleanliness laws and purification stuff. So, leprosy, you're outside the camp. You're doing that thing. And you can't come in. And just like, man, doesn't that happen? I know I'm getting into the preaching part of it. But, like, doesn't that happen sometimes? You presume upon God to go do something and you end up, like, banning yourself from the very thing.
0: Yeah. I I even
1: thought of it like, you know, we kind of say, like, oh, just come into God and worship. But there
0: is a proper way of worship. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't do worship the proper way, it doesn't come with blessings. It doesn't come with the meeting of God. It comes with God's judgment, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, The other last thing I have about him, and then we'll move into question number four, is that uh, he's included in Jesus' genealogy from the book of Matthew. You know, if you ever look at the genealogies, uh, you see a lot of crooked Mm -hmm. people in there. I heard this from Larry Osborne in a message he was doing actually about Samuel and not Samuel, about uh, Saul and David, Uh, and he said, uh, God uses a lot of crooked sticks to make a straight path, meaning Mm -hmm. like, you know, he's got a direction, and just because this person was crooked doesn't mean that's not uh, messing up his straight path that he's trying to make. I thought that was pretty cool. And then you see a king who was, you know,
1: kind of messed up and God still. King Saul, he, he offered, what did he offer? He offered sacrifices? He did. Yeah, there you have another king who is doing well. Right. But then presumed and overstepped into, no, 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 you're the king. You're not the priest. And right. He was supposed to wait on him. And he's like, no, I didn't know. I I figured I got to do it in case he didn't show up. And there's so much even with that. Yeah. Yeah, Like he was it was who was he going to. uh,
0: He had to completely wipe them out. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the nations, I can't remember, but they're associated with the giant tribe. And the idea was that even though they saved that, like the cattle and the best of, it was like that was used for pagan worship and god's like that isn't even acceptable to me it's not even it may not be
1: defected in the sense outwardly it was spiritually defected yeah and i was just thinking another king that was just like try doing a priestly thing and god's like that's not for you that's not your role Yeah. yeah uh
0: so why was israel worshiping at bethel
1: well correct me if i'm wrong but coming from that whole civil war after Solomon so we're talking Saul we're talking David and then we get to Solomon which David wanted to build the whole temple that he couldn't do that so then you get Solomon and Solomon reigned he was the wise king and he was a very rich king and he got a lot done but he also got a lot done through a lot of taxation and a lot of forced labor and a lot of those things going on and from what i can tell with that thing going on is that uh when he died that's where you have the northern ones rebelling against the south and mm. you know the burden of all of that got to be too much, and that's where you have the split. So you have Israel and Judah happening, but then now you have this northern kingdom, and it's, well, they needed a spot for them to worship. They needed their own royal line, which they established as well, so that's where you have a king in the south and a king in the north, but then they also established their temples. So they had one in Bethel, which is Beth-el, so house of God is where that place was named, and that's... Jacob with the with the angels on the ladder, right? That's where that mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. So again just going back through Genesis even. But then they set up another temple in Samaria. So they established two temples from what I could tell. And then that just even brings to mind uh the Samarian woman at the well with Jesus yeah. saying, So tell me, are we supposed to worship here or down at that other temple? And it's you get all of that reaching back to to these points even. So and Jesus
0: is like a true worshipper worships in spirit and truth. Yeah,
1: like coming is a time when <laughs> yeah. that's not even the deal. So, yeah, why were they worshipping at Bethel? It really had the roots in those things leading up to the split of the nation and then because they needed for their nation their own, you know, temple and uh, altar holy place and whatever they set up the two Bethel and Samaria. So, if you want to look into more of it, anyone who's listening.
0: 1 Kings 12:26 through 33. And it's uh, Jeroboam who became Jeroboam the who became the king and uh, the king of Judah's Rehoboam, and uh, he said that uh, so if the people keep going to Jerusalem, they're going to turn on me. They're going to realize that's the place to worship, um, and they'll kill me and return to him. So after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves, and he told the people, uh, "You don't need to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods that brought you out of Egypt." And uh, he appointed all sorts of people. Uh, That weren't even Levites to be the priest, and then he even made his own month of choosing for a festival. So all of this was to, like, make sure the people weren't going to Israel, but uh, this became the religious center for the northern kingdom, and it influenced the people not to go to Jerusalem, the place where uh, they actually were supposed to worship and encounter God. I also found it interesting that, like, It said, here are your gods. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing. It reminded me of Exodus when they made the golden things, right? That's exactly why I was laughing. (laughs) I just recently kind of learned this and I heard someone, I can't remember who, but they made the connection of the way it's worded. We always thought that when Aaron did it, or even when Jeroboam was saying like, this golden calf is your God, uh, meaning the, the image is the thing that did it. Really what they were saying was, this is God and this is the image of God. So the God, they were still worshiping God in a sense, but they made an image out of God. And where God was very specific of saying, do not make any images because in the idea that we are his imagers, we're the image of God reflected back onto the earth. Um, So even looking at this connection, it's like not saying that this is God, uh, but it also can be. Uh, I, I like that because sometimes we get caught up in the idea that that the false gods are false gods, but sometimes we can turn God into a false god. And then also that the sites he chose were there for strategic locations for on the northern and southern
1: borders of the kingdom. So I hear what you're saying about like, no, this is an image of God, but I don't think that it can be as, I don't know if innocent is the right word, when it comes to these ancient people, because the bull was already being in use Mm -hmm. for these other pagan deities you know what i mean so yeah it could be the thing of like well here's an image of like the powerful god and we know hey a bull is a good way of representing so yeah yahweh he's the bull like you could go that way but it's also like there's a lot of muddy waters that there's also other people saying that their god is the bull and directing that and having that go so well we we mentioned earlier you even have Bell right? Yeah. Like isn't Baal like signified
0: somewhat as the bull god yeah. itself? Uh, That's and, what I was doing yeah. a quick
1: search. I I think that you have Baal and then you also have Zeus and some others. And so yeah.
0: he's the the Baal is the Canaanite storm god, the bringer of rain. Um, you see more of him in uh the encounter with Ahab and Elijah. Mm-hmm. That's where you get a lot of bringing up of Baal in that. Uh, the storm god, bringer of rain, Bell is recognized also as sustaining the fertility of crops, animals, and people. Uh, the but, yeah, Baal and his wife, Ashtoreth, right? Right. Uh, so the followers of Baal believe that sexual acts performed in his temple would boost Baal's sexual prowess and therefore contribute to the work of increasing fertility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's Bell in a nutshell. Um, so I just got to throw it in. Like, you notice how the, um, the Israelites, when they come out of Egypt, like, hey, look, here's a... Golden calf, a bull, your god. And then he's like, Hey, look, here's these golden bulls, your god. You ever seen pictures of Wall Street? Uh uh-uh. uh. They have a nice big bull statue <laughs> over there. There's your golden bull. Yeah, I don't think it's gold, but uh, definitely feel like there might be a representation of, Hey, look, you're god. Yeah. Because why would you have a bull there? Right. Like, oh, because bull markets and bear markets, like, then where's the bear, dude? Yeah. All I see is bale. Yeah. Well, that's another podcast for another time. You...
0: Watch out Wall Street. <laughs> Watch out Wall Street. Uh, one quick other thing with Bethel. Uh, there's so much tradition in Israel. Um, you mentioned it. Jacob saw the ladder going up the dream of the stairway ascending. That was at Bethel. Uh, Abraham built some altars there and then returned from there from Egypt. 20 years later, God commanded Jacob to settle at Bethel. And then that's where he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Uh, Bethel was a critical location to the conquest narrative in Joshua. And then Deborah held courts between Ramah and Bethel. Mm. So it, it has steep history. There's a lot of history, religious history within that city. Um, but Jeremiah, Hosea, and Amos all condemned the sanctuaries at Bethel as heresy and idolatry. Um, Amos even says it in 3.14, on the day I will punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar I will cut off and fall to the ground. Um, again, we've already made the tie to Baal. So, question five?
1: Yeah. Question five. Yeah, I had a thought in my mind, but I'm like, no, that, that'll make a better point for, for next time. All right, question yeah. five. What social issue was Amos addressing? I mean, really, when looking at it, it's like you you take all these historical facts that we have called so there's the relative peace and they're building up of um, their economy and they're getting all of that going and they're seeing prosperity and even in this time you're seeing that like you were having people buying second homes that were like up in the hills right mm-hmm. and there's prosperity happening that was happening like that and really they're becoming like preoccupied with material goods. There was the loaning out and all of that happening. Um coming along with that, there was financial scandals and bribery and corruption coming in. Uh basically all of the vices, you know, different things that people could get into. Like all of that was on the on the rise. And you brought up you know, bail and the whole fertility cult. So when you look at, well that seems like a fun religion, like how do you worship this God? Well you you go in and um are we still doing wink, wink? I don't know. I don't know how family friendly the show is at this point, but that's where you—that's what happened when you went into the temples, right? And it's just like here's how we worship God, and you just have all of that promulgating everywhere, and you just have, like, man, all this stuff sounds really familiar to me, right? Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I just thought the orgies in the temple. <laughs> all right, well, you said it. There we go. The cat's out of the bag. That's what was happening. That's what was happening. Yeah, that's what was happening. And, um, but you have that, and you have just like we see in our world today when those things are taking place is that the society is no longer caring for the poor for the oppressed or for the one that god desires that we should like as those who again looking at israel and he's calling them out saying no no, no. you were to be my light amongst the nations you were my people you agreed to follow my word and to have this in you you were supposed to live differently and um they weren't they were um letting all of these things take place and pursuing all these different gods and different things and their own lust of the flesh and everything else and um really not protecting those that needed protected, not looking down not a uh, looking to protect and uplift the downtrodden and the oppressed and and the things of that nature so yeah with what social issues I was kind of seeing that particularly you had all of the opulence was just then the the divide between the rich and the poor yeah just kept growing and uh it's not a good recipe. Um which creates social injustice. Right. Yeah. So you have that and I mean in terms of other stuff, you'd have going back to the that section of for the three sins, even for that concentric clock. Counterclockwise circle that you were talking about. I didn't realize that it did counterclockwise. That's really cool. I, I saw it in the circles, but now I want to go look at a map and draw a yeah, counterclockwise. Yeah. Pull on my red sharpie yeah. and go go crazy on the map. Um, but you look at for Israel's neighbor, you have Damascus was cruelty, Gaza was brutality, Tyre was treachery. Um, for the cousins, so to speak, Edom, Ammon, and Moab, you have uh, ruthlessness, barbarity, and sacrilege. You know, no longer treating holy things as holy. Um, you have Judah is rejecting the laws of God and accepting the lies of men, and then finally come down to Israel as exploiting the poor among them and indulging in their flesh. Yeah, it's kind of one of that's kind of a, a broad analysis.
0: Yeah, I, re- I really like that. And and when you look at the nations, like uh, going through that list, man, that is like you're saying the brutality, the violence, the oppression. It was uh, because this. So this is Amos one thirteen. Because he ripped opened the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Like, basically, in order to eliminate the potential of descendants, they just took out the babies right then and there. And this isn't, like, sugarcoating. This is why, like you said, Amos is, like, the more yeah in-your-face and then... Hosea is a little. Yeah, we're darker.
1: talking about it in generalities, yeah. but again, go and listen to the episode of reading through it. is a little bit longer than some of the others. It's a whole nine chapters, you know. Thankfully, it's not Isaiah <laughs> with all of those chapters, but it's listenable. But to really get the words coming through yeah. on these, you
0: have uh, communities being sold to Edom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is you know again what we talked about with Philemon. This idea that God isn't for the selling. Of people into slavery, that there was right, right. condemnation and there's judgment in it, uh, and like you mentioned, Judah, the utter uh, rejection and despising God's word. Mm-hmm. You know that they they didn't want it. Like they, it just all the other nations, which is interesting, were like actual bad things for them. It was you despise my word, and it was on the same level as all these other things. It does seem like a minor thing, but God still scorns them. And this would lead to uh, them into a web of deceit and falsehood that Judah turned back to false traditions of their ancient ancestors. Uh, then you have, like you said, Israel, who uh, there's just a list. And I found this chart. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it said they're, they're condemned for moral reasons, like you mentioned, greed, oppression uh, of the needy, the exploitation of the weak. But there's a comparison of Amos to, like, the Levitical laws. Okay. Uh, so it has, uh, or not Levitical, but I guess the Torah, the mm-hmm. first five books, the Pentateuch, whatever name you want to give those things. Uh, so there's a uh, perversion of justice. Amos 2, 6 through 7 can be compared to Exodus 23, 3 and 6 through 7. Abuse of debt slavery. Uh, Amos 2, 6, that can be compared to Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 11. Sexual immorality, Amos two seven b through eight a, Leviticus twenty eleven through twelve, unlawful confiscation of property, Amos two eight, Exodus twenty two twenty six through twenty seven, and the violation of the Nazarite vow, Amos two twelve and number six. Um, and even though God had been faithful to Israel, He even reminds them. When you see it in two nine, uh, He says, "Aren't I the guy who brought God who brought you out of Egypt? Didn't yep, I do all yep. these things for you?" Uh, they still were unfaithful to God, and so judgment was coming. So again, you're looking at what were the social issues. It does seem that the breaking of the law, or not following the law as far as Israel and Judah side, led them to all this stuff, like you are talking about, that they had summer homes and all these other things. And it, it almost seems like um, all of that, this uh, wealth versus non-wealth, does lead to greed, oppression, and Injustice because if you're the wealthy, you want to get wealthier Mm -hmm. and you oppress people to keep them where they're at. And there's injustice because there's no way that the low person can win in any court of law against the person with. So there's a lot of social things. And I love that the Bible, again, we talked about this before when we went over slavery, that the Bible isn't hiding from these things. It's putting it out there. It's saying these are the things that society will face and they will always face them. Um, and we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's wrong. It's evil. Judgment comes for them, which leads us to question number six. For um, Amos' perspective, what is the day of the Lord?
1: (laughs) I heard you pause because you saw the look on my face. Yeah. Because like, it really is a thing. Do things just get stuck in my brain? (laughs) When you're just like, you know, the the Levitical law or the Torah or the Pentateuch or, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm like, Hey, our messianic friends are so <laughs> disappointed right now. What, should I say the Torah? <laughs> I don't know. Does that help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just No, I don't know. It's Just I'm thinking of at least one that we have that can very well correct us. Well, uh, yeah.
0: When you correct us, let us know so we yeah, yeah, call it
1: the right thing. Um Well, yeah, looking at the perspective what's the day of the Lord? And looking at that day of the Lord is coming, you know, with the judgment and when we're talking about that separation that you just said between the poor and the rich and what happens there, this is where God is a defender of them and where God does bring justice. Uh, Before I dive into this a little bit, I was just thinking about it when you were talking about what happens within like Israel or within any nation when those things start happening, the corruption moves in and that doesn't happen. But then when we're looking at that concentric circles or spiraling out or whatever at these other nations, when you have the center of it, which is supposed to be the light of God, which was supposed to radiate out and affect these other nations, when you have that not happening from the center where it's supposed to be and the light that's supposed to be light is actually turned to darkness, then it's like, then what hope does the rest have? And like, yeah, it all starts to devolve in on itself. And it's just like, obviously history happens how history happens, but you always wonder like, man, what if the Jews had just been faithful and actually took it and we don't have these crazy stories about the Assyrians going around and putting everyone on pikes. You know what I mean? It's just like, God really is good and God really is real. And he really did tell tell them, hey, I'm giving you all this goodness. I will bless you. Go and tell everyone else that we'll do that, right? And it just didn't happen that way. So it just really is that image of, man, for the ones who are called to be justice, for the ones who are called to walk in the truth and walk in the spirit and to be light when they don't do it, that's 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 a bad spot. Might be a really
0: bad comparison. But for some reason, I couldn't get out Star Wars from my head. Okay. And the Rise of the Sith, the last one Mm -hmm. of the first three, um, where it's Anakin and Obi-Wan and they're fighting and, you know, Anakin makes the fatal attempt to come at Obi-Wan when he has the high ground and he Mm -hmm. slices him up and he's like burning and scorched, right? And uh, Obi-Wan just yells at him. You were the chosen one, mm-hmm. and like he's like spewing out, "I hate you," and he's like, "I loved you like a brother." You were supposed to be balanced to the force, you mm-hmm. know. For some weird reason, when you said all that, I just thought that that was Israel. That was Judah. they were the chosen one. They were supposed to bring uh, the light to the darkness, but instead, it crept the other way. The dark side mm-hmm. ate
1: inside of them and changed who they were completely. I wish I was good enough or cared enough to make memes because that would actually be pretty <laughs> legit. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of going from that, looking at those social issues and coming through and seeing God's correction coming in, leading into like this whole day of the Lord and judgment and God setting things right. And you have just like just like with the uh, nations and then circling in and coming closer on them, you have the same thing happening with these disciplines mm-hmm. of the North is that you have it start off with like a food shortage that's happening and then a water shortage and then there's the disease and to the crops and the animals and the mildew and stuff like that. And then there's um, plagues coming in at that point to the people. And then there's raids happening from the people that are coming around. And then there's these disastrous fires that are happening, right? And then you get to that massive disastrous earthquake that even Zechariah was talking about a couple hundred years later and then ultimately exile. So when you're looking at uh, what was it that he said after each one of those things and yet you did not return yeah you know what i mean and it really is a thing of god trying to get attention he's like the food isn't there remember if you're doing right by me i told you i'd bless and there would be abundance and there'd be those things the food isn't there are you paying attention I'm like no yet you still didn't return after that one and just after each thing you're getting to yet yeah, you did not return again This is one of these books that, like, maybe it's just the time that we're in, but I look at between the social issues and then some of the warnings Mm. coming from God and the different stuff, and I'm like, guys, come on. But maybe that's for next. (laughs) next Interesting that you brought that up because looking at today, a lot of people walk
0: around saying, man, I just can't wait for God to come back. And what I read here is that the Israelites anticipated the day of the Lord would be a triumphant thing where God would overthrow their enemies, right? So they were looking forward to it. He even says it, I think, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Woe,
1: why do you long for the day of the Lord? Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And we we hear that throughout. Today. It's interesting
1: that we were talking about that. Was that even just the last episode? I think so. If, Maybe, within the last yeah. couple of them. And then here we are. Like we said in the very beginning, hey, we're going to keep studying this day of the Lord thing. And even some of the things that we talk about It's like, oh, look, here's another aspect to it. Yeah,
0: that people were longing for it. And today you hear the same thing. And then Amos 5, 18 through 19 just shatters their notion of uh, what the day of the Lord is by stating that it will be horrifying. It's characterized by darkness, not light of day. Um, It will be symbolic representation, like you said, of unnatural cosmic events and bitterness and mourning. I I read this because although it has it in chapter 5, there's also some of it in chapter 8 when Mm -hmm, he says, mm -hmm. uh, in that day. Um, So 9 says, in that day declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feast into mourning and your singing into weeping. I will make you wear sackcloth, shave your heads, and I will make that time like mourning for an only sun. And at the end of the day, it will be bitter. And to me, again, I'm trying not to make too many connections with too many connections, you know, when you could say like one thing and the other, but the sun goes down at noon and darkens the earth. In broad daylight. Well, that's what happened on the cross. Yeah. So you have this. And then the, the religious feast, well, the Passover had just happened. And now the disciples are in mourning. Mm-hmm. And then at the, I mean, he even says it like, you'll be mourning for an only son, um, who Jesus was the only son of God. So it's, it's beautiful when you start looking into it. But it's also terrifying of what this day of the Lord really does come in and do. It's not going to be like I think we think this parade of, a victory, but it's going to be uh, days of darkness. It will come in with that time. There will be the victory that follows it, but the judgment that has to come, because uh, the true nature of God's character and His Word, to stay true to that, He has to purify His people from all the self-satisfactions, self-indulgence, and sin. And that's another aspect of the day of the Lord, that coming in through this, saying the judgment is coming, um, that that's what they will happen. I, I also like that in Amos five sixteen through 20, he uses the word pass through. And it's the same thing as Exodus twelve mm-hmm. twenty one through 27 as Passover. So making the connection of the Passover of uh, the angel and passing through. Again, the angel passing through, there wasn't celebration. It was, it was darkness and it was sad for the
1: people who didn't follow through. And how you brought up that for them they're like yeah day of the lord coming that's going to be victory over our enemies and everything else because they're associating themselves with like because we're god's people Mm -hmm. and they weren't paying attention to like but are we really being the god's people that we were called to be you know they were just like no we look we're associated with yahweh which means we have all of these promises and everything else coming like forget our side of the bargain we're just going to be here for the victory and all of the spoils right but in this, when God is saying these coming, especially when you look at something like chapter 9. And this is hard language, and I know that for Christians who maybe don't ever read the Old Testament and aren't aware that God could or would or does speak in these ways, uh, it says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars, so the threshold shakes. Topple them on the heads of all the people, and I will kill the rest with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. Though they dig down to Sheol... From there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will pull them down. Though they hide themselves atop Carmel, there I will track them and seize them. And though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. There they are driven by their enemies into captivity. There I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for harm and not good. And it's just like, now that's Old Testament God. But also, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's just like, well, which one do you get to play there? And like the day of the Lord is not the good thing, but what you get at the end of chapter nine is when he's talking about really having the remnant, right? Yeah. It's like in everything though, I'm not going to do that to those that are truly faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, for those who are truly Israelites, for those who keep the covenant and keep my word, I see you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we were talking last time about the day of the Lord, it's like God is capable of protecting his own. Yeah. But he's also, I don't know, duty bound is the right word to be just and to bring judgment. Which when we look at the, cra- the big crazy judgment that comes down when we call it this day of the Lord, like, yeah, he's in his own right to do so. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a bad thing to be thinking like, no, 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 like God should definitely come because then he gets to judge all the other wicked people. And it's like, remember, that's how what these Israelites were just thinking in Amos is that they were thinking, oh, yeah, day of the Lord would be a good thing because then he can judge everyone else. Yeah. Just like when it started with that concentric circle, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, judge them over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, judge the Ammonites. Yeah, We judge like them, what judge, this guy Amos judge. is saying. And then it comes in, is like, judge us. Yeah. We don't like you.
0: Yeah. I like this. This is, was a good book. Uh, so far, I can't wait for next week's episode uh, to sum everything up. Amos rebukes injustice whenever it is found, and even if it's among God's people. Uh, It's mostly oracles of judgment and disaster, but the end is with a promise, like you were just saying, uh, that after God's judgment, God will restore Israel. Amos calls on God's people to repent of their sins against him and others. And that's how I would like summarize the book. I thought it was a really good way to do it. But yeah, that's all I've got.
1: Yeah. Anything else? I'm thinking. Uh, just as I've, I thought of a few things, like, nah, that that'll be that'll be better for next time. Next time. Whether I really have anything or I'm just leaving a cliffhanger, that's uh, <laughs> no one will know. No
0: one will know. All right. I'm Chris. I'm. you the. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. Abba, Nahum, Obadiah, Jude,
1: Haga,